Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Wow, that worship set. I heard someone say this morning that the band was so stripped down. And I felt the Spirit of God say, yes, so that I can fill the space. And wow, he did that, didn't he? He filled this space. All right, well, welcome. Chris did a great job of welcoming you. Our band did a great job of preparing this atmosphere. So my job should be pretty easy. We're in a new series today. I absolutely love getting to kick off a series. I don't know why. I think it just feels fresh and new and exciting. And some of you coming in have no idea what's next or who's preaching or what's going to happen. And it just feels like the Lord is like giving us surprises. And I love that. So y'all look so good. You have so, so many of you are smiling right now. And I love that. I love preaching to a happy people. So much fun. It makes my job a little bit easier. But Okay, so we're going to jump right in. We're not going to waste any time. Today we're starting a series called Yada. Yada. And Yada is a, a Hebrew word, and it's simple. It just means to know. To know. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking this very simple word. Because as simple as it is, it's actually also very complex when you understand the context of which God uses it in his word. And so it can mean to perceive, to know intimately, to understand, or to experience. Now, five years ago, I was on a FaceTime prayer session with my sister-in-love, Jenna. She's in Texas, and she's been one of my prayer buddies for the last about nine years. And um, it's just been such a sweet, rich gift that the Lord has given me. And many of the breakthroughs I've had in my life have been because she has been praying for me and with me, and that's been so powerful. But about five years ago, she just said, like, hey, how can I pray for you? And I said, Jenna, you know, I'm just feeling that the Lord is stirring me that I'm not satisfied with who he is in my life anymore. Not in a sense of I'm questioning my faith, in a sense of, God, I want more of you. Like, I don't know enough about who you are, and maybe that's part of aging, I don't know, but I just, I want more. I want to know more of who you are. And so I began to seek out ways to know more about God. And one of the primary things I did is I changed the way I prayed because I was saying, God, I want to know you more. So open every sense that I have in my life to know who you are. And I'm going to be honest, the result was so humbling because the result is that I personally received miracle after miracle after miracle in my own personal life. And it was just like God saw me. And as that increase of the miraculous happened, I just wanted you guys to experience that too. I believe this series is going to unleash that for you. Now, you might have noticed in recent years, if you pay attention, and I hope you do, but Chris has been weaving in this thought of yada to so many messages over the last couple of years. And so in our teaching team meeting, when Becca mentioned this series idea, it struck me at what great attention she pays and how she picks up on the details that God is speaking that some might just pass right over. But Becca picked up and pointed out 
what God was saying, specifically through Chris. And, and I think she said, like, the church needs this in a series, and I could not agree more. So for months now, we've been focusing our efforts of teaching you on intimacy with Jesus. And I think you've probably picked up on that, right? Many of you have shared stories of like, I have never known a relationship like I know right now with Jesus. And we are so elated by that. But I believe that in order to have true intimacy with Jesus, this part of Yada is a part of that. So that we may know the Father. May we Yada God. But you might say like, Okay, but what does that mean? Like that sounds fancy and pretty and super spiritual, but what does that look like in my life? So I want us to look at Ephesians 1, verse 17. Paul is actually praying for the Ephesians, and I love that he is praying for them. He's praying these spiritual gifts into them. He says, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him, to yada him, through your deepening intimacy with him. See, we need a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in order for our intimacy with him to be deepened, in order for us to truly yada the Father. So recently I've been um, changing up the way I open my messages for you. And it, it wasn't even like a conscious decision. It just sort of started to happen. And um, so the reason for doing this is I just felt like God said, like, just share exactly what I've said this week. Like, don't lean on anything in the past. Don't lean on any past knowledge. Just share what's fresh and new and right now. And so my reason for doing this is not to... Um, seem spiritual or to point out like, hey, God spoke to me this week. My reason for doing this is so that as I share the thoughts that God has put on my heart and my spirit, what I believe it does is I believe it gives you an impartation to recognize that God has actually spoken to you this week as well. Why? Because God speaks in a spirit of unity. And so when I get up here and I tell you what God has said to me, it triggers something in your mind to go, you know what? I had such a similar thought that this week. Okay, maybe that wasn't my own thought. Maybe that was the spirit of God speaking to me. And he gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as he unifies what he's saying to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this week, here's what I heard. I heard the spirit say that the intercession must increase for the miraculous to increase. So intercession is, um, it's actually pretty simple. It can sound scary, but it's pretty simple. It's just prayer or petition in favor of something or someone. It's persistent. So when we intercede, we're actually opening up every sense that God has given us to receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And therefore, our intimacy with the Father is deepened. I want you to catch this. In the Bible, there's a book called Ezra, and it's a little bit obscure. I think it often gets just passed right over. But Ezra tells us that the leaders rebuilt the altar of prayer before they started to rebuild the temple. Okay, we have to catch this. This is so important. I want you to take this away with you today. Because of Jesus, you and I are now the temple of God's spirit. 
Okay, so in Old Testament times, the Spirit of God was housed in a specific place, and only a select few were allowed to go in and experience that presence, right? But Jesus changed that. He took away that separation, and he gave us access, direct access to the Father. And so now, you and I are the temple of the Spirit of God. So I want you to just evaluate your life right now. And if you're recognizing in your spirit, you're like, man, you know what? I think I need a little bit of rebuilding. Like I'm sensing, like Chris talked about, those areas where I need to lay down that crown. I need to even lay down that gift. I need to be humble to recognize, like, God, you're, you're shifting, you're moving, you're wanting more intimacy with me. I would recommend that before you begin to try and change up the temple that God has given you, you start by rebuilding your altar of prayer. And a result will be that the temple of God is purified in those moments of intercession. So I felt like the Spirit said to me, Heidi, explain prayer at Church 214. And I thought, okay, that feels a little bit basic, but I'm going to go there. Because I want you to understand the culture here, okay? I think that in the last few years, the world has lulled many of us to a sleepy state. And I believe the Spirit of God has been waking us up. And we are now awake. We are not slumbering anymore. We are awake and we are here for it. And I want to prophesy that over you. If people are saying to you like, you know, the church is dead. The church just isn't active. No, we're going to cut that off. The church is alive and well. We are moving in the spirit of God. So some churches have prayer teams, and that's a wonderful thing. That's not a bad thing. So hear my heart in saying this. We don't have a prayer team. Um, but don't, don't think we're anti-Bible. We love the Bible. We're based on the Bible. We actually have a prayer culture. So at 214, the prayer culture is very, very simple. One of our DNA words is keep it simple. Okay, so the prayer team here is not a team, it's a culture. And the culture is simply this. If you need prayer, you ask someone to pray for you. And if in your chats with people here at church, you find out that someone needs prayer, you pray for them. Right there. Right then. That's it. That's the prayer culture. You don't have to sign up for it. You don't have to be trained for it. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You need no specific person or team or meeting or event to experience the prayer culture. And I would suggest that if you've been in this church for more than about 14 seconds, you've experienced the prayer culture. You just look around and you'll see that person praying for that person and that small group praying for that small group and this family praying for that family and that pastor praying for that pastor and my friend praying for me. Like you'll see it everywhere, right? That is a culture of prayer. It's so powerful. So we don't have a prayer team. We have a prayer culture. And here's the thing. We fully expect that you're in this family, that you would participate in that prayer culture. Okay? So if you think you're not good at praying, just practice. Practice on your spouse who won't judge you or practice on me because I won't judge you. We all started somewhere praying out loud. Okay? One of my teammates on one of my teams prayed out loud over someone last year at one of our collective events, and I'm sitting in the front row knowing he's never prayed over someone, like cheering wildly on the inside that he had stepped out to pray for that individual. So, so powerful. 
So what I feel like the Father is asking us is to increase those willing to intercede, okay? Because we don't have a prayer team, but we do have intercessors. And intercessors are just people that are willing to persist in prayer. You know, not like, hey, God, I need this to change, and then we move on. Like, no, like just again and again and again, persisting in prayer. And so... um, I'll be honest, like I have a few really big miracles in my own life that I still need God to give breakthrough in. One of them I've been praying for since I was 17 and still no answer. In fact, it's gotten worse. I feel like the more I pray, the worse it gets. In fact, for many um, seasons, I actually stopped praying because I was actually quite annoyed. I I was quite annoyed by the situation and I felt like, God, if you're not going to move, like I'm not going to waste my words. This is just a waste of time. I've got to pick up that intercession humility over that event, over that situation. And for 19 years, I've prayed for healing over someone I love, and the healing hasn't happened. For eight and a half years, I've prayed for a specific situation for someone I love so much, and for a, for a split second, for one of these three things, we, we felt like there was breakthrough. We felt like the promise was there, and then, no, it was gone. And so it, that can be discouraging as someone who's walked with God for a long time, like, Lord, where are you in this? But one of my good friends said to me on the phone one night, she said, Heidi, if it isn't good, he isn't finished. And I was so, I was so struck by that. And it stuck with me what she said that night because I thought, God, you are so right. Like, I have laid down my willingness to intercede for that. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to pick it up because I know you're not done in this. And if you're not done, I'm not done either, right? So the culture here is that everyone is a part of a prayer culture. And some are more gifted in their obedience to press in for that breakthrough. So those intercessors, those people who intervene on behalf of others, I want to be one of those. And I would recommend that if even 10% of us picked up the anointing of being an intercessor, in 2023, we are going to see the miraculous just unleashed in this church. It is going to be powerful. So Christ follower, let let me challenge you. Know that I love you. If you're not interceding in prayer, you are not spiritually fit in your prayer life. Think of it this way. We do not expect someone else to go to the gym for us, for our, for our physical fitness, do we? Like, my husband loves me well. He knew last night, like, I was struggling with a headache, and he knew he could pick up the tasks of making dinner and, and serving our family, so he did that for me. But I know that my husband cannot go to the gym for me, for me to be physically fit, right? So, church, why are we expecting a handful of people to help us be spiritually fit in our prayer lives. Why are we not interceding? Intercession changes everything about everything in our lives. It literally rewires us. It changes every cell and every fiber within our being. I heard someone say that if you cuddle a baby who's upset and you give them that very close skin-to-skin contact, that it actually changes the DNA of their brain and the way their brain is sending the synapses to their comfort, 
to their ability to be comforted. And I feel like that's the same thing intercession does. It's like the Father just brings us in and cuddles us. So intercession is a spiritual discipline. It is not a personality type. Like we have an incredible woman of God. She's sick this week, but Miss Lynn, she is a true intercessor. You probably see her walking around this building every time it's open, praying over. She's prayed over your seat so many times you have no idea. She's a true intercessor. But I would recommend that the intercession is not reserved for the older women of our church or the older men of our church. It's for all of us, okay? It is to unify what God wants to do here. And so I would suggest that, you know, I've heard people say, like, I'm just not good at praying. Like, my mind wanders, and I just, you know, I'm diagnosed with ADHD, and I just can't pay attention to anything for longer than three minutes. Like, I I get it. It is difficult to train yourself in a, in a spirit of prayer. It can feel boring at first, if I'm being honest. And all of a sudden, you're praying, and then you're, like, going through your grocery list or your to-do list or, like, shoot, I forgot to text her back. Like, God, I should just text her real quick so she doesn't think I hate her. Like, I get it that your mind can wonder. But I want to tell you right now, you might be clinically diagnosed with ADHD, and I'm not discounting what that is like in your brain, but you can still be an intercessor, okay? Because I would say that there is not one single diagnosis that the medical community can give you that will discount you from joining in a spirit of intercession. You could, believe, you could be physically mute or deaf and you can still intercede. Do you know the word of God tells us that the spirit knows how to interpret our groanings? That is incredible. So if you can't even get the words out, the Spirit of God can interpret for you. So I want to give you a practical tip. If you want to increase your intercession, here's practicality. Pray about it more than you talk about it. We are so good about talking about our struggles. Have you heard about what I'm going through? Have you heard about what's happening in my life? Can we talk about it? Can we meet for coffee and talk about how rough my life is right now? And that's not a bad thing. Community is wonderful. Community helps us refocus and go like, okay, I'm not the only one. Like, they're walking through stuff too. But when we intercede about it more than we talk about it, we invite God into the conversation. And he's the one who can change things. So this week, practically, whatever you're facing, pray about it more than you talk about it. And if you have not prayed about it, do not talk about it. I know, it's uncomfortable when the Spirit convicts us, isn't it? I was convicted this week, too. I had so many moments of like, I'm going to just, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to pray about it. So many times, more than I want to admit to you. I just feel so deep within my spirit that if if we intercede, God is going to unleash amazing things in 2023 for this church family. And we're going to stand here in a year from now, and we're going to know it's because we humbled ourselves and we prayed. And we sought the face of God. So speaking in, of the new year, in like six weeks, yeah, six weeks, I will have been in ministry for 26 years. And most of those years, I felt pretty young. And 
for many of those years, I was pretty young, and people would be like, how old are you? Very young. Don't look down on me, you know? But recently, that all changed in a moment, in a conversation. I was meeting with um, our collective group here at church, who's our young adults. So if you're a young adult, 18 to 30s, come join us. It's incredible what God is doing. That, that generation wants to know God. They are so passionate, and so I love them. They're incredible. But, um, you know, I was feeling pretty, like, sort of like I could hang with them and vibe with them a little bit. I don't understand their words a lot of the time, but they don't understand mine either. The other day, I told them that the next event would be Dutch Treat, and they're like, uh, Miss Heidi, what's Dutch Treat? I was like, what? Dutch Treat is you pay for yourself. They did not know that. They're all like, even my leaders. <laughs> so I'm chatting with them, and, and two of my students who are, they're going to remain unnamed. Um, although if you'd love to cheer them on, they play for the Bradley volleyball team. So you could go cheer them on at the Bradley volleyball team. I just won't tell you their names. They come up to me and they said, you know, we want to admit to you, like for the first four months that we attended this church, um, well... We sort of thought that Ashton was cute, and um, we thought that Ashton was your son. So, so um, side note, we also thought Carson was your daughter. So we got onto your social media, and we were snooping your social media to find pictures of said Carson and said Ashton to figure out, like, how old are they? How old is Ashton? And they said, we thought that you had bias towards your little ones, you know, because, like, you have all these pictures of your three little kids and none of your older kids. <sighs> if you're new here and you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about, this woman took too many espresso shots today. I love Ashton and Carson so much. They're like, they're kind of like my kids, but it became very clear in this conversation that they didn't mean like, we thought you were like their spiritual mama. No, no, they thought like, we think you burned them out of your body. <laughs> and in a moment, right then and there, all 26 years of ministry just crashed in on me and I immediately felt like I was elderly and like I needed to retire because clearly I have children that are in their mid-20s. How old are you, Ashton? How old? You're 20. He's tall enough to be 30, but... So if you're new here, they're not my children. My eldest is 11. So there's that. But um, if you'd like to join the, the young adults group, I'm clearly the granny that helps lead it. <laughs> but um, so all joking aside, I've been reflecting on those 20, 26 years of ministry and all the things God's allowed me to be a part of, and it's been incredible, and I've loved it, most of it. Um, there, there have been really hard seasons, um, and I would just be honest, I've just come through a really hard season, and um, I almost quit because it was just too hard. It was too much. I was too weary and too tired and too broken, and I just felt too bruised and wounded to pick up yet again. But God is so faithful, isn't he? 
He is the redeemer. So all that joking aside, as I reflect, I realize there's kind of one key thing that I hear people say to me all the time. And it's just along the lines of like, man, I just want to know what God's plan is for my life. I hear it all the time, not just in the young adults. I hear it from the 60-year-olds too. I just want to know what God has for me next. And this might ruffle some feathers, but I actually think that God is far less focused on his plan for your life than he is on his love for your life. I really do. I think that if you have grasped an understanding that the Father loves you, you have literally captured it all. That's the plan. The plan is that you would know that you are loved by a God who gave everything for you. That's it. It's that simple. See, because you, you might have heard like John 3.16, right? It does not say God so loved his plan for you that he sent his son. No. What does it say? It says God so loved the world, you as an individual, as his created son or daughter, he so loved you that he sent his only son. Right? That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God is so smitten with you. And as I was processing this, on Wednesday, I said, God, what's next? Where do you want me to go in this message next? And he said, just tell him I love him. Okay, very basic, Father. He said, yeah, but that's the foundation that everything else is built on. Every other plan stacks up on their ability to know that I love them. Okay, quick test for you regarding the question, do you know God's love for you? You guys ready? If I asked you to meet right now with a friend who does not believe in God, I'm picturing this individual, and I said, this person is so important to my family. He's on death door. He does not believe in God. He grew up in a culture and a religion that is totally counter to the faith of Jesus, and I need you to go tell him about Jesus. What would your response be? Would you freak out a little bit? Would you start to sweat? Would you think like, oh my goodness, I do not know enough about God to be the one responsible for someone on a deathbed. I should call a pastor and have my pastor go instead. They know a lot about God. But see, when we know someone intimately, we have absolutely no problem conversing with someone about them. Okay? So when that individual also loves us back, we have no problem conversing about who that person is to us. And I believe the Father wants you to be that comfortable with him, that you so understand the love he has for you, you yada who he is, that you are willing to just share about the love of God. You don't even have to know all of the passages to lead people to Jesus. You don't even have to know one of the passages, though I would recommend it, it's super helpful, but when you speak of the love of the Father, everything changes. See, we're less likely to speak of something, specifically someone, if we don't know a lot about them, right? So I want to talk about what does the word mean in the Semitic language? What does no mean? Well, it can mean to have knowledge of something, it, it, to, to know something, right? 
It can mean to understand it, to be aware of it, to be able to explain it to someone. So in other words, to know something means to just have an intellectual knowledge of it. Okay? So um, more than that, though, in the Semitic culture and in their language, it means to know someone. So when we see in scripture to know to yada, it means to know someone, and it points to a relationship with that individual, okay? And it often means to have a covenant relationship with the one who is known, yada, a covenant relationship. And so my prayer in this series is that we would yada the love of the Father. We would know the covenant relationship that he intends for us to have. So this is not a knowing about God. This is not having just understanding about the fact that he is God. This is intimate. This is to yada him in a covenant relationship. Are you with me? Okay. Let's break this down a little bit more. I know the Hebrew can start to feel overwhelming, but it's not. When you begin to study it in the context of which it was written, it is so, so incredible. So as we search in this series, God, help us yada you, I would propose that we must understand how he knows us first, okay? Why did he choose to create us? Why did he choose to put us in this time of history? Which I think is actually the most exciting time we've ever had in a history as the people of God. But when you see the detailed way someone knows you, you more correctly understand their love for you. Someone said to me recently, like, hey, we know your heart. And I thought, oh my goodness, they're right, they do. They know my heart, so they know why I responded that way in that setting because they know my heart. They have an understanding of who I am and how I'm wired. A few years ago, I heard the Spirit of God tell me, tell this individual you're praying for to go look at their baby book. And I don't really love it when God gives me obscure things to say because I don't love to seem like a crazy person. Um, but I have just learned, like, I better obey because he's not letting me off the hook until I do. So I told this person, like, I feel like God wants you to look at your baby book. And I don't know if they did, but that's on them. So the next time I was at my mom's house, my parents' house, I went down to her basement and I pulled out the baby book that she had made of me when I was a baby. Okay, look at this beauty. Okay, this is what baby books look like when you're a granny. <laughs> but the thing that I was so struck by was the attention to detail that my mom put in this baby book. Like so much detail. Um, she, she mentioned like when she started having contractions with me in the womb. And she mentioned what time she called the midwife for her home birth. Now, some of you young moms are so cool and amazing, and you've had young um, home births recently, and I think that's incredible. You are not the OG of home births at 214. <laughs> My mama had one 44 years ago, and then six since then. So if you need any information on home births and raising kids, that's my mama. She's incredible. But the details of this book are so, so incredible. There's so many. Um, it talks about what time, um, what, what, when she told my siblings about me being born. And there's photos of it, of their reactions to this new baby coming into their world. And she kept the, the phone bill 
And all of the, the important phone calls she made are highlighted of when she called her brother and her, her sisters and her parents to tell them that I had arrived. And there's, there's lists of the gifts and the food that her church family brought to them. Do you know that I noticed in my sister's book, I noticed that in that book, it talks about the atmosphere of the spiritual realm of the home that day. She wrote down what it felt like in the house the day Heather was born. I thought, man, that is an incredible piece of knowledge to have, right? We would not know that as the newborn. But it was so intimate. The details go on and on. She wrote down the funny things that we said, too, as little ones. Now, Maddie's book is much thicker than the rest of ours in that area. He got an unfair portion of humor. I don't know how that happened, but his is just thick in that regard. But I want to share with you, like, what's the point, Heidi? What about the baby book? The point is, it's proof that someone was paying attention to my life and the details of my life. In my case, that was my mother, documenting what has gone on in my childhood, okay? Now, it goes beyond this little bookcase. Um, actually, one of them, in full disclosure, I have six siblings. One of them's not up here because it didn't fit in my display and it wasn't as aesthetically pleasing. So it's backstage. Sorry, Stephen. Your book, your book is backstage, Stephen. But he's the baby, so he'll be fine with it. So I want you to look at this photo for a second. This is a photo taken in my mom's library. And these are the photo albums that she has made. These are part of them. She told me today some of them are boxed up because she wants my siblings to pick up what they need to get out of her house. But um, these are handmade photo albums and digital books that document the 44 years that she's been raising children. They document also the 66 years that she herself has been alive. There's incredible stories woven through these books. It is an account of her mothering. It's an account of her life. It's so beautiful. She always says, like, I know none of my kids are going to want these when I die. Mom, I will take them. Can I just have the bookshelves, too, though, so that they're organized? Okay. We might need to build on a wing, honey. <laughs> but see, these books were made out of her love for us, right? This was done because she wants to remember the richness of God in her family's life and the love. So this represents love. These details speak of the love of a parent. Do you know that your life is documented by God the Father? Your life down to the detail of who you are is written, do you know, not in a book, but on the palm of his hand. You are written on the palm of his hand. How intimate is that? You were born for covenant relationship with him. When you begin to understand that the Father knows you in detail, that he loves you, you will live and move in a totally different way. God is so purposeful to know you. And when you begin to know that he loves you, you will gain a confidence that people will not understand. You will gain a knowing that the creator of the universe knows everything about you and he still chooses you, right? The beauty of knowing God's love is the glory that's associated with it. 
And I don't mean the glory like in a worldly sense, like an acknowledgement of things you've done. No, Um, I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about the spirit of God radiating from who you are in everything you're doing. You can be shoveling snow and radiate the glory of God to your neighbors driving by. See, the glory of God radiates from us when we correctly understand that we are loved, when we know, when we yada God the Father, and when we let him know us. This is when we have these repeated encounters with the Father. God, let me yada you. And God says, okay, then let me yada you. And this is repeated over and over and over. And in that, we begin to step into the glory of the Lord. And I believe that when you do that, you will walk into rooms and the atmosphere of that room will shift because the glory of the Lord has entered that space. We see this example in the life of Moses. Moses would go, uh, this was before Jesus came, before Jesus made us the temple. So Moses would go into this place called the Tent of Meeting. And I know I've preached on this in the past. I think Phil's preached on this in the past. Um, I love this I love this imagery, but he's got to go to this Tent of Meeting, and the Bible says that he would meet face-to-face with God. And the glory of the Lord would be so evident upon him that when he would come out of the tent, the Bible says that he would be glowing that people couldn't even look at his face directly because the light of him was so bright. That is the glory of the Lord. But see, Moses encountered that and experienced that, and we see the result of him meeting with God because he let God yadah him. He let God know him. He purposely went to the tent of meeting to to gain more understanding of who God was. He had a covenant relationship with God. Let's look at Exodus 33. This is where we see the Lord's glory is so evident upon him. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, one day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you have not told me whom you will send with me. We all love a buddy, don't we? Like God, is this my calling? Who's going to go with me? You have told me, I know you, I yadah you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and I will continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your own people. It's like Moses is like, hey, God, this is on you, okay? God's like, yeah. He replies, I personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything is going to be just fine. So it's important to note here that the Hebrew word yada, as we've talked about, it's a common root word, okay? It has a wide range of meanings, but it's dependent on the context. So when we read the word of God, we can't just read it and just breeze through it and be like, well, read the word this year. We've got to know the context of what he's speaking. And sometimes we have to dig just a little bit further to know, like, God, what are you saying? Is it just, I yada you, like, I know about you? He's like, no, no, no. This is me saying I have a covenant relationship. So we have to understand that meaning, okay? So in our English language, the word no is just, it just means no. 
Like there's nothing fancy about it. It means like I have a mental understanding of something like two plus two is four. I know that that is the answer, right? But the concept of knowing something or someone, it takes on a special meaning in the Semitic language, all right? So it's specialized in relationships. So primarily a relationship based on a covenant, as we've already talked about. Now, this is supported not just in the Bible. A lot of people are like, well, but where does that support it? It's supported in all sorts of ancient literature, um, information that comes that supports the biblical account, which I love that. Okay, And all the Bible nerds in this space love that. But the Bible shows us in Genesis 18, 19, exactly what God is talking about. He's talking about Abraham, and I'm going to show you how our English language can actually miss it if we don't understand what the Hebrew is trying to say. Okay, so in Genesis 18, 19, he says, For I have chosen him. Now, the word chosen, uh, yada was translated to chosen. Now, chosen's a great word. I love that word, but it doesn't give us the full context. Okay, so the NIV also says, I have chosen him. The ESV also says, I have chosen him. But the old King James Version, in this case, I was raised on the King James, and so um, I don't read it all the time now. I read it every now and then. But it translates it very literally, where he says, for I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So this, in, this informs us of what is truly meant in this passage. God is saying, I do not know about Abraham. He's saying, I know him intimately. I have a covenant relationship with him. Moses is writing in the text, he's saying this is, a, this is a covenant relationship between two people. Now, the reason this was important is because in that time frame, it was understood that if you had a covenant relationship with someone, you knew that it could not be broken. And if it was, the consequences would be so severe. So you just stay away from breaking that yada relationship. This is mentioned in Genesis 4 when Adam, it, the, the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve. It's speaking of that covenant relationship. So we talked about the context. Let's look, though, at Psalm 139 because in Psalm 139, the context is different. So we're going to read through these very quickly. So um, we, we're going to see six times in Psalm 139 the word no, yada. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So in this specific psalm, we notice that um, actually the, the translation into English has put the word me in that first verse. That would actually read in the true Hebrew, it would read Adonai, you have searched me and you know. Like you know all things. 
not just about me, you know all things. But when we look at the other five times the word is used in this psalm, the psalmist um, is not the object of the verb, but he's actually the, but the object of the verb is something, not someone. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so it can mean something, not someone. So look at this. Number one, it was, you know when. He's like, God, you know every movement of my life. You know when I wake and when I sleep. You know my breathing. You know my heart rate. You know the numbers of hairs on my head. You know when. Number two, you know it. You know the words I'm about to speak before I speak them. He knows it. My soul knows it very well. Number three, the third mention. It means you are recognizing the majesty of the work of God in creating mankind. Number four speaks of knowing my heart. We are willfully acknowledging and we're opening up the dialogue to say, God, I know that you already know my heart, so I better clean this up, right? Because you see it all. You know it all. Number five, you know my anxious thoughts. Now, in the last few years, I feel like this one is something we need to cling on to. The Lord knows your anxious thoughts. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind, and he is willing to heal everything that is brewing right now. He knows all of these things. So the psalmist, that it was David, he's not speaking of that relationship in an intimate understanding, he's just speaking of it as like, God knows everything, whether you choose him or not. But we have the opportunity to take it to the covenant meaning. And I believe that's what David did. So David was a king anointed by God. And so he had not only the sonship anointing, but he also had the king anointing and that covenant relationship, and he's saying, God, there's nothing I have to hide from you. You, Yadami, you know every word about to proceed from my mouth. You know every action. You know every single thought. You know everything about me. And I believe that it is pointing to him saying, God, I fully intend to be loyal to this covenant relationship because you know me. Now, I want to pivot to a moment of what it looks like when we allow the love of the Father to transform us, when we allow him to yada us, what it means for people around us. I believe that people around us are changed and moved because of the way we know God loves us. It gives people a confidence of who they are in the Father's love. First Thessalonians, um, I didn't understand why the Lord pointed me to this until this morning. Um, Chris got on stage and said something, and the Lord said, you see why I had you put that in there? And I went, yes, I do see. And so I just want to encourage you, you can trust the faithfulness of the Lord in every detail, even if it's like getting on stage to present something and you don't even understand fully what he wants to accomplish. He knows what he wants to accomplish. So 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. 
May he, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all of his holy people. Recently, I read this. We have tended in the last few years to stay away from mourning and dancing. We are too afraid to cry. We are too shy to dance. We've become narrow-minded complainers, avoiding pain and also true human joy. While we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. So let us mourn and let us dance. A few weeks ago, God said to me, it is time for the joy to return. I believe, um, I shared this with our teaching team, but I believe the season of mourning and grieving has ended and the time of the joy of the Lord is here. I believe that in 2023, we're going to see joy unleashed over this people, and I am here for it. I am so ready for it. I know many of you are sensing it, and you are joining in on that. That does not mean we will not have hard things. That means that we will not have fender fender bender experiences and freak out over it. We will go, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is in this. God is God is going to redeem this. God is going to sanctify me through this. And we are going to experience the joy of the Lord. Because the world is the one stuck in a rhythm of mourning, but the church of Jesus has the joy of the Lord. It's time to dance, friends. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, always be joyful. This says to me, joy is a choice. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. It is a choice. Overflowing joy can be yours when you know the Father loves you, no matter what. When we make the love of the Father our priority and our foundation for the plans of our lives, the joy of the Lord will be upon us. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, not just the good ones. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. So back to that question, what is God's will for my life? His will is that we never stop praying, that we're thankful in all circumstances. And we can only do that when we know the Father loves us. Because when we doubt our place in the family, if we doubt that the details of our lives are accurate, or if we doubt that we are loved by the Father, we are not going to walk in the love and the joy that he has planned for us. So let's become intercessors. Let's see the breakthrough. I don't want to be the only one seeing the miraculous happening in my life. I want it to be upon the Gray family and the Wolf family. I want it to be upon the Smiths. I want it to flow across this entire body of believers. And I want it to impact your neighbors and your school districts and your workplaces and your regions because that's why we are here. We are here that the world knows there is a better option, and his name is Jesus. As I close, I want to read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. 
And now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Friends, God is faithful to Yadayu. He is faithful to know you. He is faithful to direct his plans for your life. And the moment you begin to forget how much God loves you, he will chase you down again and again and again. You will have repeated encounters with the Spirit of God that you may know him. On Friday, I had wrapped up this message, and I was in my scheduled reading. I'd gone to my Bible app, I clicked on the date, and I was scheduled to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to what verse 5 says. It says, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. He is so intimate, and he is so detailed. When we do this, when we have a full understanding, the glory of the Lord is upon us and we get to walk in that royal anointing. Will you just bow your heads with me? I want to speak for a moment to people in this place that may not know Jesus. You might be here and you think, you know, I don't even know God. And she's talking about Hebrew words. Um, God brought you here today for such a, a purpose. And I, I also believe there's someone on the podcast listening, and you might be experiencing chills right now because you know I'm speaking to you. And this you might be listening two years from the date this aired, but you know that God is moving in your life. And so I just want to say to you right now, if you do not know God, he brought you here today because he wants to know you. He wants you to yada him, not just to know about him. You might have been raised in an environment that talked about God or had a, a distant understanding, like human understanding that there is a God. But he says, I want to bring you into a covenant relationship. And if that's you, I want you to just look up at me right now. I actually can't see you because the, the lights are literally blinding me. But I think that's so cool because it gives you intimacy with the Father. But I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience the love of the Father right now. Chris talked about it earlier. But salvation is simple. It's just admitting, like, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up, and I need something bigger than myself to redeem this. And so, Father, I just pray right now that if there's any hand being raised, whether it's shy or bold, if there's any hand being raised here in this sanctuary, if there's any hand being raised on the podcast right now, Father, I thank you that your spirit is so heavy in this place that you can reach into every single circumstance. You have their baby book on your hand. And so you say, son, I know you. It's okay. We're going to work through this. Daughter, I know you. Come to my heart. Let me yada you. And even more so, will you let me love you? Let the Father love you. Jesus, I just pray right now for those turning from their sins and choosing a life with you. I pray the Spirit of God, the glory of the Lord would fall upon them, that their lives would be a radiant example. I just heard Ashton say in a meeting this week, he's known God two years now, and he said that people at his workplace mentioned like, dude, you're just always so happy. And I believe that is because he's begun to yada his father. He's begun to understand the love of his father and it's radiating out of who he is. 
So, Father, we praise you for that changed life. We praise you for the lives being changed in the wake of his decision. Father, I thank you that you've brought us here as a family. I thank you that you've chosen us. You yada us. You love us so much that you refuse to let us escape your love. Father, I pray for everyone here today. May we begin to experience the intimacy of you in our intercession. Father, I pray that we would not be um, have a short attention span in communicating with you. God, I pray that we would wake up in the morning and rush to spend time with you so that we can be redeemed by you and transformed by you, that our minds will be renewed every single day by you, that we will walk in step with your presence, that when you tell us to do the smallest of detail, we will obey because we know you. We know when you speak because we recognize your voice. So, Father, I pray that every ear is open, every mind is open, every heart is able to discern your voice. May we live and move in response to your voice. Father, I praise you for your love. I praise you for your salvation that's in this place. I praise you that you give us grace upon grace upon grace and that you'd yada us so intimately that you would call us by name. You don't just know about us. You don't have just common understanding about who we are. You have an intimate understanding of who we are. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.